welcome to the Growth Through Grief podcast, where we interview individuals just like you who are dealing with their own journey from loss to growth, along with uh, mental health experts, growth guides, all of this with the purpose of helping you heal better, improve mind, body, and spirit, and find your new purpose from the loss and tragedy that you have experienced. Hi, I'm Tom Pasello, your host. I'm a growth evangelist, as well as a fellow widower, having lost my uh, beautiful bride of uh, 19 years, Judy, some five years ago. Uh, today, we have a very special guest, one of my brother widowers, Joey Pizzelli. Hi, Joey. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for having me, Tom. Yeah, Joey lost his wife, Yan, uh, mother to two college-age beautiful daughters, uh, as do I have, uh, Sophie and Olivia. Uh, and that was just a short eight months ago from when we're recording this, so the fall of 2021. And I believe that was after a two-year battle with colon cancer, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. And uh, Joey and Dan knew each other for a long time, well over 30 years, and as you can imagine, saying goodbye, helping his daughters deal with grief, and figuring out what's next has definitely been a struggle for Joey. And we're going to go through, you know, that whole story with Joey today and, and, you know, how, what he's been challenged with, what he's been learning from, his faith, and uh, we're here to explore the story of Joey and yeah. So first, I love uh, getting to the origin. My wife, Judy, and I had an interesting blind date meetup that without that, we wouldn't have created the beautiful family that we had. Joey, what's your story? How did you and Yan meet? Relatively similar to what you just said, actually, as a matter of fact. <clears throat> Little did I know, um, we, we grew up in pretty much the, side of, in the same side of town. Uh, she was actually four years younger, or three and a half years younger at grade school. So we never crossed paths through the school approach. But um, I was introduced about 10 years out of high school. I attended my 10-year high school reunion uh, one summer. And at the time, I would travel from South Florida, which was part of my sales territory, back only on the weekends back here in Orlando and then on the road most of the time during the week. And came back from my high school reunion, rekindled a friendship with a, a good old buddy from, from high school, and uh, we just, uh, we hit it off. And at the time, he was dating this beautiful young woman. Um, her name is Christina. And Christina and I uh, started to uh, get to know each other, and we shared a little bit about where we were in life and relationships. And she said, how often are you back here in Orlando? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, it's kind of a week, weekend thing. I'm, you know, gone for the week and back on the weekend. She said, well, we have this girlfriend of mine that I think we'd like to introduce you to, and I think you might hit it off. And I said, well, I don't know about this blind date kind of thing. I've, I've never been much for blind dates. In fact, I'd never had a blind date before in my life. So um, with some coercion, and uh, she happened to have a picture. She pulled a picture out. So I will, and, and, and full disclosure, essentially not a true blind date, right? But um, for only just a moment, she flashed a picture of, uh, of my wife. And, of course, she is absolutely beautiful. And I said, yes, for sure. I'll, I'll meet with her. <laughs> so, so on we went and she said, well, let's, let's plan for the following weekend when you come back on next Saturday, a week from that time that we would gather together and, and meet at uh, my friend's house. And uh, they would make the formal introduction and we would go through the process of kind of doing this, if you will, blind double date. So I said, okay, I'm up for that. Um, so fast forward, I, I, I go through the work week and I get back in town um, the next Friday, which is a day prior to the time we're supposed to go out on Saturday. And I, um, I go out with some friends downtown. If you're from Orlando or you're a longtime Orlando resident, um, there's a famous uh, bar area downtown in the Church Street Station, which uh, the famous club there was called Phineas Foggs. And we're talking many years ago now, right? So I go to Phineas Foggs. It's a Friday evening. I'm there with some friends and we kind of casually looking around and I, I, uh, I go over and uh, down on the dance floor and I kind of look up and I look across the bar and and uh, you know how when you see somebody and you think you recognize them but you, you can't remember where you've met them or how you've recognized them and I'm thinking it's racking my brain I'm going on for probably a good hour or two and finally 
you know, you can tell when you're 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 gathering somebody's eye and vice versa. You're kind of taking notice of each other. So this kind of thing was going on for a period of time. And finally, as I'm looking over her way, it dawns on me. I'm like, this is the girl I'm supposed to go on a date with tomorrow night. <laughs> no way. So I said, wait a minute. And so I, you know, I'm generally a shy guy and I'm not the kind of guy to um, to go and have smooth, you know, lines uh to pick up the ladies, if you will, and I, I um, so the only thing I could think of was to walk over to her and, and introduce myself, and I said, you know, hi, you don't know me, but we're supposed to go on a date, and she said, oh, yeah, right, right, I said, no, no, seriously, you know, you know my friend Robert, and she said, yes, I said, well, he and Christina, his girlfriend, have arranged our date for tomorrow night, and she said, oh, so then it all kind of came together and started to make sense, well, Joey, we, we, that was the girl. <laughs> oh, absolutely, because it would have been a big faux pas. So, <laughs> right? So we began to, uh, you know, become acquainted. We we spoke for a good period of time, got to know each other. And I could see that, it, you know, she's obviously very attractive. But well beyond that, we had some things we found in common already almost instantly. I said, this is this is really going to work out well. So uh, I, I, you know, we kind of had to end the evening. I had to regroup with my friends and go on about the evening. And I said, let's do this. I said, when we meet tomorrow night, we have to act like we've never met before. We've got to act like, you know, you've seen the proverbial disastrous blind date, first date kind of situation. So I said, let's really play this off like this is just a disaster. And so we agreed to do that. So I arrived at my friend's house the, and then the next evening prior to her arriving. And he's he's talking so much, uh, you know, positively about her. You're going to like her. She's sweet. She's genuine. You're, you know, goes on about her and really builds her up, which... He should, because she's she was superb, uh, a great person, and uh, so I'm playing along, and the doorbell rings, and he walks us to the doorbell, and I go there formally to shake her hand and hi, nice to meet you, kind of thing, and so we go on about our evening, and we go from there, we go to dinner, and we're not really talking much, and then we go from there over to uh, out to another club slash restaurant, and uh, we kind of separate away from our friends and. We're chatting a little bit, but not much. And I said, so we've really got to play them off now. We've got to to put this in play and let them know or think as though this is the disaster that they've set up here. So I I kind of walked away from her. I walked over to my buddy and I said, hey, I said, can we go home now? And he's like, what? I said, this is a, this is not working. I said, this is a disaster. And he said, oh, no, I'm sorry. He's like, I thought you, you two would really hit it off. And I said, no, 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 this is just not working. So we we walk our, our ways out uh, of the of the restaurant and club, and um, we get outside, and we stop, and we're walking ahead of them. We stop, Yan and I, and we turn around and got you a surprise. And they're like, what's going on? I said, well, we met the night before. Uh, we hit it off. Uh, thanks for arranging the supposed blind date, and uh, we got it from here. So that was our, uh, I, I, I've always said that was my first one and only blind date, and the last, you know, that I've ever had. So um, not truly a blind date, but that was a long story of how we met and uh, how God put us in each other's path. So yeah, blessed. So so serendipitous that you guys ran into each other ahead of time and then played that yeah. out with your friends. I love that story. Now, right. You went on to marry Yan. How how long after that? Well, you would have to uh, know Yan's background and her family background. Uh, Yan is uh, the daughter of a general, a three-star general from South Vietnam, and her mother was even more strict than that. Uh, they are Vietnamese, traditional Asian, so um, you don't just walk in the door and you know. Hey, I want to date and I want to marry your daughter. It doesn't happen that quickly, at least not in this family. So it took a lot of time, if you will, probably more time than than I would have um, wanted, frankly. Um, you know, I'm not a big dater, as I said, but I'd had some serious relationships before I met Yen. But it was almost instantaneous when I met her. I knew that she was a different kind of person, you know. That's awesome. And then you went on to have... Sophia, Olivia, and build an incredible life together. Yeah, just a, an amazing experience. You know, we, we looked through our lives and the time that we had 
before we started children was was time for us and we always kind of broke it up and i and i as i mentioned to you before we got on i you know the hardest thing i had to do was write her eulogy and uh, when i wrote her eulogy you know i i basically wrote an outline form you know what i call the book of yan and the book of yan you know, took its phases in life you know as we all go through phases and segments but you know in that segment you know we always from a marketing perspective you call it the dinks the dual income no income no kids but we both valued family and we both knew you know myself being italian and her being asian both family of four siblings and large families family was important to us and we knew we wanted to have family but at the same time we we enjoyed a good part of our lives we, we were able to travel and do some things before we had children and so we waited a few years and then we got to a point where we wanted to have children we had a little bit of difficulty it took us a few years to become pregnant and then um and god blessed us and um you know that set us on our path to as you said we had two children uh, the first one took a little while to have and the second one came almost instantly they call them irish twins because they were 16 months apart 17 months apart so we we figured something out by the second one so but blessed having so. been able to meet your daughters joey they're just incredible young women and i know they're going to go on to do just great things now you know obviously this is a fairy tale but not every fairy tale kind of ends the way that we'd like it to, unfortunately. I know mine was that same way, and I'm tearing up as I tell you that. Um, tell me yeah. about how you found out that Yen was sick and kind of what you guys went through with that struggle. Yeah, and there's some, there's some things that, you know, when you get a diagnosis of cancer and you before you get to that point you always have the suspicion of the c word in the back of your mind um and yeah unfortunately it's been all around us you know it's in today's world and it's in our in our systems that uh unfortunately as we get to this age we're you know in our mid-50s it becomes more prevalent that we're seeing this happening with friends all around us so you know to look back to have hindsight is uh, makes it difficult at times but we did have some signs we had some indications and you know you you hope for the best and sometimes you put off a little bit and i think that we had some signs we had some symptoms we put off a little bit and i've reflected back on that because we had a great life together we traveled tremendous amount uh, we traveled multiple times per year and i don't know in god's plan had we known a little bit earlier whether it would have changed the course of her fate um but i've tried to reflect back on that look at it essentially if you will in some silver lining because had we known maybe a little bit earlier it would have affected the way we lived our lives in that last year that led up to our battle and so and again i don't know that it would have changed the outcome i would have hoped it may have but um i i have to look at it in that way kind of the glass half full that um the silver lining there was that we had another year of just a tremendous life together with our children, with travel, with experiences that we may not have had were we to kind of know that. But, um, yeah. yeah, and, you know, once you got, and I'll, I'll never forget, you know, the day we, we got the diagnosis, uh, or if you will, the indication that it could be the C word, you know, I work from home generally and, um, she was mostly an at-home mom, and and um, I thought, you know, this would go in phases where she was just going to simply go in and have a pelvic exam. She was going to have the general, you know, physical exam, and that would lead to tests that would then follow, and then it would be some time before we really knew what was going on. And so I'll never forget that um, I was working at home, and she left shortly before, and I saw my phone ring, and, and I saw her number come in, and I kind of my heart began to sink for some reason I felt uneasy and um, I said hey honey how you doing what's going on and I'll just two words that I'll, I'll never forget and her voice was not good and the moment she said that you know my heart sank again further and I began to feel obviously there was something wrong and she said, you need to come here. And, and fortunately, the doctor that she went to is, you know, less than a mile up the road. So I, I remember racing to the car, racing to the doctor's office. And 
walking in the doctor's office and being escorted right to the back room. And, you know, she was there with her doctor and, and doctor was trying to console her. And we were both very emotional in what we were hearing. And, you know, we began to pray immediately to hold out hope. And we had a wonderful doctor that, you know, was prayerful right there on the spot and said, you know, we're going to pray that we're in a position, but based on what she had just seen physically and through an examination, she felt a good probability that what we were looking at was a form of cancer and that we would have to know more, obviously, with tests to follow. So that was unfortunately, you know, how we got the first, you know, if you will, diagnosis indication of that she might be what we're facing here in this battle. And then that sparked a two-year kind of fight, right, chemo, radiation. Yeah, you know, and, and the doctor most immediately, she said, hey, you know, and this is what I loved about her. She said, I've already got a plan. You know, I've already got... You know, I've got this radiation oncologist. I've got this primary oncologist that's going to act as the quarterback in this. I've got this series of doctors that she already began to name out that she had true confidence in and that, those, uh, that experience. So we went most immediately into, you know, this dive headfirst uh, almost immediately. And one thing I'll also reflect on, you know, this is right around the time as we talk about our two children, we were facing the fact that we were about to send our first child off to college. So we were starting this same process of becoming, if you will, the empty nester. And, um, you know, I'll, yeah, uh, kind of I'll never forget. You know, yeah, getting your daughter on that yeah. path. Meanwhile, you're in yeah. triage mode at home with this tragedy. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. So fast forward a little bit. Um, tell us a little bit about when Yen passed. If you can. In her passing? Yeah, yeah. Were you there, Joey? Oh, absolutely. So in this very room that I sit, um, just a few steps away was where she passed physically. Um, as you mentioned, we had a two-year battle, and when we got the diagnosis, um, we almost never got, you know, what you hear in, in cancer, a remission, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, my wife, Yann, she always handled herself with class and dignity, and I always knew she had a threshold of pain and strength that was well beyond mine. And in that two-year battle, um, not getting a reprieve, we be, we traveled, we went, we went to multiple hospitals, we were uh, uh, in a, a series of clinical trials, we were in a series of things, but we were always chasing, right? We were always chasing, and, and the pain became so severe that um, she was on heavy um, pain medications. And, you know, through the fortune, good fortune, or however you, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> you want to look at it, you know, it was during a time that COVID was going on. And my job and my responsibility I have at work allows me to be virtual. So the fortune, if you will, that I have, the corporation I work for and the, my vice presidents I report to said, your family comes first to take the time and devote to them. Do what you need to do to be there for your family. And so given that at the same time our children were out of school uh, from college and from high school because of COVID, we were all allowed to be closely around her as we were in those final months in her battle. So that we look at as a blessing. Um, the pain that she was suffering from was unimaginable, is the only way I can explain it. And yet, we have a large sphere of friends, and she was very much out in the public and very well known, where there was a series in the last six months where she was not seen, she was not out. And so people were curious, and I think a lot of people never understood the extent of what she was going through in the battle and where she was in the process, because she wasn't one to share a whole lot of that. Um, she was a very private person. And um, as she was nearing those last few months and we knew that we were losing the battle, um, we never gave up hope. Uh, we never stopped praying. We never stopped focused on, you know, the next thing, right? And it was my role as kind of her fighter in her corner to say, you know, honey, if this doesn't work, if this didn't work, I'm here to pick you up. It's my role to be there for you, to be you know, the guardian, to be uh, the explorer, to be the fighter for in your, and all you have to do is heal, mm -hmm. uh, heal in the, in your mind, in your body. And we're here as a family to love on you so that you can fight with all you've got. And so we were able to surround her and do that. But unfortunately, 
you know, the cancer began to take over and, and the body just began to fail. But her spirit and her will never gave and it never faltered. And um, as we entered that last uh, few weeks and we battled between hospitals, um, I'll never forget, she finally, in the last hospital we were, we were in, and it was one thing after another trying to mitigate the pain. We had her on pain pumps where she was inducing it, and then I had to induce the pain pumps just to keep her out of cycles of pain. She looked at me in the face in the hospital and just looked at me with this seriousness and said, I'm done. I want to go home. And I knew at that point um, we were very close. So we got her home. Um, we called in hospice. Um, further to kind of mitigate some of the pain, we felt there was a local hospice hospital affiliated here that we thought to put her in there at least for a few days to try to regulate some of the pain while they could kind of work with that. There, too, um, we saw that we could only do so much at that point. So one of my my brothers, one of my faith friends, one of my faith leaders said, you know, we don't owe it to our friends, but we think that this is the time that we need to let them know where she is in her life and that those that want to share with her, those that want to express their feelings with her, um, that they'd be able to share that. So we arranged a candlelight vigil just outside the window here. Um, and we arranged it rather quickly, and a friend of mine really helped coordinate that. We put the word out, and surprisingly, it was that evening, <laughs> and just a few hours later, we had a, you know, a good amount of people standing outside of our window with candles lit. We arranged a Zoom meeting. We arranged so that she could see from her bed here in the living room, she could see everyone gathered out there and she could hear and see the messages of love that they wanted to, to pass on to her. And it was her choice whether she wanted me to turn that camera on or not and whether she wanted them to see because she's exterior wise, she's is and always was a very beautiful person. And there she is right there behind me. So you can see she's a beautiful woman. And so as cancer takes the beauty away, unfortunately, it strips the body of that. But what I saw was a more, even more beautiful person from the inside in those last months of her fight. And that's when her true beauty came out to me. Her strength, um, her class and her dignity, how she handled things was, was paramount. And so it was hard for her to stand at that point. And we knew that everybody was standing outside of that window just over there. And um, and she wanted to see them. And her, her sight was failing. And so she asked me to pick her up. And I lifted her from the bed here. And we walked her over to the window. And she could look out. And she couldn't really make out the faces down below. Um, but she could see the candlelight. And she asked me, who's there? Who's out there? And I began to name such a, a blessing, Joey, that everyone came together like that for her. Yeah, and it was. And uh, it was that one last opportunity that people could see and share her and share their feelings for her. And, uh, and so it was a blessing. To be at home as well. Yes. So yes. many of us. Um, I so less than a few days after we had that you know, we saw her decline. So I began to call in family members. She had family from California area and from DC area. And we brought them in and here too, in the same room, we surrounded her with love. And, um, it was the evening before, um, everyone had arrived and I knew she would be passing the next day. So I had a serious conversation with my daughters and, and we knew we, we could only say so much, but we knew the end was very close. Um, so that morning, they had arranged for a hospice representative to come out, and she was a wonderful person. And I met her downstairs before we brought her upstairs to meet my wife. And I said, you know, we know this is the day she's going to pass. And we know that we want to just have our space. We want to love on her, but we want your guidance to help us through this process as we go through this. And... Um, one by one, the family members began to arrive here, and we had you know, beautiful spiritual music playing. We had candles lit all around her. We had messages flowing in from friends and family. Um, and we began to share that with her and pray over her. 
And um, as we tried to relieve her of the pain, we began to increase the pain medication. So we knew she began to drift off and we began to lose her consciousness. But she was always there. She always held to our hands and up until the last, very last moments. And uh, so I etched in my mind those last hours and minutes and um, never, never forget um, that part of your faith. Um, I'm blessed that you recommended me into a Bible study and have been helpful in my personal journey. I unfortunately did not have my faith restored kind of through the process. And I know mm -hmm. that that has been an important foundation of how you got through it, the sickness and the yes. passing, as well as, you know, the progress that you've made so far in, um, you know, certainly remembering and treasuring what you had, but also starting to realize that you know, there, there could be a new purpose for you. Talk about that faith and, and how important it was and, and who's kind of helped you in that journey. Yeah, and, and thank you. It's um, my wife and, and, like I said, both of us having lived here in Orlando and grown up, we have a great network of friends. And there's actually a friend of hers who was a friend of hers before he became a friend of mine. We knew from just being out casually, and I've known him for... I guess 12 plus years. Uh, we moved away for a period of time, lived in Tallahassee, raising our children up there, and then came back. And um, shortly after that, my wife was social. She was out. and um, But she happened to know him from well before the days that I met her, uh, from um, 30 plus years ago. Um, and um, as we came back to Orlando and came back into the scene, we would meet out casually. And you're in an outside scene where typically you're in restaurants and you know, I'll say it, you're in bars and people are just at a surface level social. But this gentleman and I began to talk deeper about our faith, <clears throat> where we were in life and what was important. And um, I was always a person of faith and always a believer in Christ. But I will admit that I'd fallen far away from the church and far farther away from my faith than I felt I needed to be. And... When we got the diagnosis, shortly after we got the diagnosis, he and I confided in each other, and he, he began to pray for us, and he brought this to a men's group. And so here was a group of men that were praying for us as a family, praying for her as she went through her fight that didn't know us from anyone. And he would share with me for a period of time that, hey, you know, we, we prayed again for your family today, and this person or that person said this. And I said, you know, I, I need to... I need to move closer to this group and I need to understand what they're about because this is something I'm missing in my life right now. This is something that I, I feel I need to move closer to. And I, again, as I said, I, you know, I was a believer and I had faith, but I knew that the battle we were in and what we were facing <clears throat> could cause me to question my faith mm -hmm. and cause Yann to question her faith. And I knew that you know, when you're faced this type of battle, you can either do one of two things. You can turn and run away from God and you can run away from faith or you can turn head first and you can you you can drop to your knees and you can pray and say I don't know how I'm going to get through this but all I know is through your guidance and prayer you're going to find a way to get me through and get us through as a family and so I turned inward and I turned towards my faith and I turned towards God and this group brought me back closer to that and it was a period of time that I joined this group and I, these loving men who began to pray over us as a family. We began to share in life what we all face as men. And so I found this good for me in many ways, not just in this battle in life that we were facing. And so I drew closer and closer to these men and to this group. And it reached a point where they saw in me um, light, <laughs> light evolving and my faith growing but I felt I still needed something more. So there was an opportunity, if you will, um, for at the church that many of these men attended. It was a non-denominational church, and I was raised Catholic. So, you know, I'm baptized. I went through my full uh, Catholicism and faith. Yet here were men that were non-denominational. We were all believers in Christ. We're all led, you know, to God. And I said, um, you know, they invited me to attend a weekend gathering of men. And um, in this event, 
um, I really, I poured out a lot of the things that I was facing, you know. Um, sorry, puppy in the background. That's my, my third daughter down there guarding the park. <laughs> so, um, as I uh, had joined in this group, they invited me in to attend this weekend session. It was really a session where I laid bare my soul, if you will. Um, and I laid bare some things that I was I was dealing with in grief already. You know, what you don't know or what you, you wouldn't think of before you've lost your loved one, you're facing, you're facing a battle like this, you're in grief already. And I, I began to learn that um, this process of grief and dealing through it while she was with us, there was another um, part of the, the process of healing that I was still suffering from, you know, um, Nine months before I lost Yan, my father passed away. And my father was a wonderful man, and he was 90 years of age, and he led a full life. And I, there too, I spoke, and I, I, I gave his eulogy. But I was so wrapped up in our battle, in our fight, when my, my father got sick, and he went rather quickly, I never really had the time to mourn him and to go through the grief in him. And so through this group, it allowed me to kind of open up and, and visit you know, what I had not resolved there with my father and going through the grief. And this weekend really opened my eyes to that, that I experienced. And it, it culminated with, you know, as a Catholic, you know, you, you, you got the music playing and it's, it's a little bit more, if you will, um, a little bit more excitable and uh, entertaining than a traditional mass would be. So there was an altar call, or if you will, or called to the front. And I felt compelled to go to the front um, to be prayed over for the things that we were dealing with, to bring strength to our family. And literally, men came to me and laid hands on me as we stood in a circle and prayed. And, I, and I, I'll never forget that experience that um, I just, I closed my eyes and I lifted my arms and I began to seek out and pray heavily to God to give guidance to me as a father, as a husband, to give me strength to help her through this process. And um, I felt love and I felt strength uh, from above that come into me that I had never felt before. And it was a point then that I knew that I wanted to recommit. You know, although I had been baptized and I went through the process, I felt there was this form that I needed to recommit and witness before my family, before my wife, before my, my friends that I was recommitting my life and uh, to become a better husband, to become a better father, to become a better friend. And so at that point, when I felt this enter into my, my heart and soul, you know, shortly thereafter, I scheduled, um, you know, a formal cer ceremony at, at the church to do just that. And I've got the videos and I never for forget that Yan being very weak at this point, um, we got her there and we, we, we sat her down and she was there able to win. Well, as I said, you know, I, this recommitment of my life to Christ and the experience that uh, led me to uh, go back in and witness before my family was uh, really a turning point for me and led to me to where I am today and where I want to go. And, you know, as you said, I'm eight months into this journey. I know I have a long ways to go. And um, it's through my faith and a good part of that, and the men that I experience within my group of faith that will help me, I recognize through the process of this healing uh, through the grief. Um, it's about moving forward, not moving on. Um, at the same time, you know, there are other things that I, I have in my life that are helping me in the grief and in the healing process that have been instrumental that I've found uh, through this. And, you know, one of which was as I mentioned, the company I work for and the great people I work for have always been considerate and understanding and allowed me the time through the process. And um, at the toughest of time, about a month after Yan had passed and my daughters were living at home with us still, had not returned back to school, um, I remember walking up the stairs, going to bed one evening, and I could hear, I passed by my daughter's bedroom, my oldest daughter's bedroom, and I could hear her in there sobbing and crying. And so I opened the door and I said, Honey, what is it? How can I help? You know, what, what, are, what are you going through? And she was experiencing for the first time something I'd never 
scene and didn't know how to handle it at the time. She was actually having an anxiety attack. And she was kind of almost in a frozen state, yet very emotional. And she said, I heard your footsteps coming up the stairs. And she said, it made me think of mom because in those last months, when she could make it up those stairs, she would always stop in when I was back home that we were able to spend time together and she would lay down with me and we would just hold each other and we would talk and we would share. And that experience, she knew that she would not have that again. And it all came over her in a rush of emotions and feelings and she didn't know and we didn't know and I didn't know at the time how any of us were going to get through this. You know, we were a matter of weeks since her passing and um, all I could do was lay down there next to her and hold her and try to comfort her while I was trying to comfort myself and try to, you know, how do I as a parent heal and how do I as a parent also help my child through this unimaginable, you know, situation they're going through. And we, she asked me questions for which I didn't have the answers. And I knew, and I was praying as we were going through this, that God would bring me the answers. And um, I recognize that God puts people in our paths at the times when we most need it. And that very moment, I knew that he was going to do things that were going to help us through the process. I didn't know how, but it was going to happen. So Fast forward to the very next morning, I got an early phone call from my vice president, just out of the blue. We don't normally talk on a regular basis. And he said, I sense that you're having challenges, obviously. He said, you know, there's a gentleman who's rejoined our company who lost his son. His son was 11 years old, lost his son who died of uh, an amoeba um, attack and just a terrible story. And um he said his gentleman has gone through his healing, and as a result of that, he's joined his church and now actually oversees a grief share, what's called a grief share group, as a part of the church. It's faith-based healing. He said, would you be interested? And I said, absolutely, amen. And, you know, God has put you in my path, and he knew that I just went through the most difficult night of my life as a parent to help guide my child, and I knew I needed help, and he put you in my path. So... He provided me his phone number, and most immediately I hung up with him, and I, I called this gentleman who was overseeing the grief group, who's now a great friend of mine. We spoke for hours. We spoke for hours, and we both cried, and we both shared what he, he was still going through. You know, He's lost his child um, now, I guess, almost eight years ago, and he still still deals with grief. So you know, I was learning almost immediately that grief was not going to go away overnight. It was not going to be a process that we would heal. And, and there, too, everybody, everybody I've learned goes through this process differently and heals differently. And there's no exact method or formula. And I learned that rather quickly. But it's through the Grief Share group. It's through this men's Bible study group. It's through friendships like yours. Um, you know, you came to me through a mutual friend when I wasn't expecting it. Uh, because, un unfortunately, we share this common bond now. We're both widowers in our experiences. And it was, again, it was, you know, a continued low point when you reached out to me and said, hey, you don't know me. We know similar, you know, uh, we have, you know, shared uh, friendships with other people, but I feel compelled to reach out to you. And I remember you dropped a book at my front door and uh, we began to talk, not knowing each other. And so it's people like you in my life. It's people like friends. I, I reflected back on friends that, you know, from my age, uh, from the time I was five years old, I have neighborhood buddies that, you know, we grew up together. And I found that those were the ones that knew me deepest at my heart and soul level that I could, I could share with. So they have come back into my life more so than they were in the past. And they continue to remain there for me. And we, we've got this now bond where we, you know, we make it fun. We text each other daily, almost daily. We give challenges to each other in life. We're all facing the same pains and sufferings that, of our bodies ailing and all the things that we, we deal with. So it's those bonds and those friendships amongst other men that are helping me through this process and continue to help me through the process. So I'm blessed. The words that came to me were, you, you were not alone. Um, you weren't alone because Christ was with you the whole time. The members of the church were with you, the Bible study group was praying over you and continues to pray over you and your family every week. Um, your friend groups, the, the, um, 
grief uh, group that you belong to and you go to uh, most weeks. And I think that's important, is that we don't have to go through this alone. Uh, Amen. And by reaching out to you, I was calling to help you. You actually helped me in getting my <laughs> faith to that next level of mentorship that I needed to. And so it's not just that you're seeking others' help. You will be able to help those same people and share your experiences. And it is through that kind of social healing that I think we get to a better spot. It's, uh, it's funny you would say that, you know, and that, that, that is a lesson that's taught in Grief Share, is that part of the healing process is, frankly, helping others. And when you can reach out and you can help others, that's part of your healing process. And I, I began to do some of that um, intentionally and unintentionally. You know, I changed my social media that people can see I'm now more spiritual. I'm not necessarily religious, but I'm letting my spiritual... Um, body be known and I'm sharing that and in turn uh, you know that has reached that it's touched other people that have reached out to me in a different way in a different friendship that I've been able to help and uh, you know coincidentally just last night <laughs> I'm sorry to say that I, I still battle with sleep issues I don't sleep a whole lot so it was late in the evening and I was on social media and I posted a song and it must have hit somebody and um, there's a woman who's came into my life that um, just met me only through social media, who knew my, my wife, and unfortunately, she just lost her significant other, unfortunately, to suicide. And um, here was this woman reaching out to me because in some way I was exemplifying the healing process, and she wanted to know what it was about, what I was doing, and how I was getting through the process. So I began to share with her. and. Um, you know, that's just another form of, as we said, the healing when you can help others and feel as though you're helping others. That, um, that's what Jesus asked us to do, you know, to love on each other, provide the love that um, through us flows his grace. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a couple of other things I know that you're doing that are helpful as well. And spirit is definitely that solid foundation that you're building everything on. Uh, body. Talk a little bit about why you think that's important, what you're personally doing. I know, you know, we're spin buddies, so we go to spin class a few mm-hmm. days a week, and that's good. But that kind of positive forward movement in body, how has that helped in the healing? Yeah, and we talk about the mind, you know, it's mind, body, and spirit, right? That we all have to heal in those in those parts of our lives. and. And it's this is part of the grief share too. You know, you can't be good to anyone else if if you're not good to yourself, right? So you have to learn if you're not, if you're struggling, you have to learn to love yourself again. You have to learn to not be selfish, but focus on yourself so that you can be better for others. And so I saw that, and we recognize that, and that's one of the things that we we learn uh, through the grief share process is that you have to take care of yourself so that you can take care of your others. And in this case, for me. I knew I had to be there for my children. My wife, she did an amazing job raising our children. And we're fortunate that, you know, they're late teens, early 20s, and they have the values, they have the foundation, they have those things that are instilled in them. But they still need me as a father. They still need some of that guidance. And they need to see me through the process grow. And they need to see, at least in my view, that I'm healing, but I'm healing in a healthy way. And that's my interpretation of healthy and it's physically healthy um so i'm exemplifying to them they see me getting back into the gym doing things physically um to you know if you don't have your health you've got to take care of your health so you can take care of others so i've certainly done that focus so there's the there's the body um i've been talking about the spirit and the other part is is around the mind you know we got to focus on mind and so I'm doing some things differently that I don't traditionally do. I'm starting to to read more. (laughs) And um, education within um, what I'm facing Mm -hmm. um, in the healing process, in the grief process. Um, So, And then trying to expand beyond that into one of the other things they talk about is trying to find the new you, right? So you can't spend 30 years of your life with someone and... I'm affected daily, and I everything I did daily was with my wife and my children in mind. 
And so take that away after 30 years of doing that. And now you have this freedom, if you will, or this curse of time. You've got a lot of time on your hands. And so what are you going to do with that time? And where are you going to focus with that time? And how are you going to use that productively? And so I began to think about how I'm I'm doing that. And and some of that molds me and is changing me as a person. It's changing some of the things, my interests, and where I focus there. So... Again, I'm all too new in this process. Unfortunately, I'm in this process. But those are the things I'm focused on is the mind, body, and soul. And each of those are important to me and how I uh, progress through this process. Me as well. I started with body to kind of get some forward movement going there, uh, which is how PTSD patients kind of heal by moving forward uh, in a way. And then mind was second and faith was last for me. I think your mm-hmm. order, Joey, is a little bit better than the one I would recommend to folks. Um, I know that um, you mentioned trouble sleeping, and you know, just with Yan passing away in the home, I know I faced some issues with my home here. Do you want to share a little bit with that? Just a little bit of the the challenges that you face there, just being. Home. Yeah, I, you know, I don't. For those of us that have become widowers, and you know, maybe it was my circumstances of what we were in the battle, as I mentioned previously in the conversation, I felt my role was as her guardian, as her fighter, right? And I've always been a fighter all my life. I've been an athlete. I've been a fighter of a number of things. I'm a lover, but I'm also a fighter. And you know, that's that instinct for us as men that we have to protect and we have to fight. And so, as I mentioned, you know, it was her role just to heal and to fight for those things. It was my role to be out there, to be looking for the next thing, right? And that's, unfortunately, when you're in cancer, it's, uh, you know, in my view, it's sometimes more of an art than it is a science today. And um, there's this whole path of conventional medicine, but there's this path of alternative medicines. And everybody has an opinion, and everybody has an experience, and what works for one may not work for the other. So I, I took that on as my role to investigate those things, to to research those things. And as I mentioned before, when something didn't work, when we didn't get the results we needed, I said, that's okay. Forgive me. She guards the park outside. <laughs> so, um, But I said, that's okay, honey. I said, but this is the next thing. This is what we're doing. I've already been researching this. If this didn't work, we're going to do this now. And so it was always the next thing, right? And if the blood counts weren't right, if this wasn't right, but that's okay. We're going to get here. We're going to get to this point. So I will say in sleep and being able to fall asleep and being woken up in the middle of night, you know, frankly, those were the nightmares I had for a period of time was, you know, you're in the battle still. You're sleeping, but yet you're in the battle and you're experiencing this fight in the battle and you're awakened to the fact that, you know, the battle's over and you have all these other intentions, you have all these other desires, you have all these other um, things that you would do, but unfortunately that escapes you. You no longer have that ability to do. And so it was... It's part of coming to grips to that, uh, waking up to that nightmare that the battle is over, um, that was waking me up a lot in the middle of the nights. And so now I've gotten to this strange cycle where I sleep a few hours and, um, and, and then I'm awakened and then the mind begins to race. So I'm trying to use these other methods we talk about, reading, concentration, prayer, other things that can calm the mind um, as I wake up on these cycles of sleep that I've been going through to try to return back to some normalcy in my sleep patterns. I will tell you that I'm certainly not anywhere near mastered it yet. I'm, I'm a work in progress, but I'm trying to find that formula of the right things. I, I'm, a, I'm not a believer in medication. And I'm not a believer in, you know, the things that can be thrown at you from the doctor's side. And I'm trying not to rely upon that. I will say that I have some of those things, that they're there at the ready if I really need them. But unfortunately, I'm not an addictive person. Um, and I and I want to try to do this in other means, in other ways. I'm not saying that those other things are wrong or that they don't help some people. But for me personally, I'm trying not to have to rely upon that. So it's it's a work in progress, too. 
Joey, to achieve. Your story there, and you talked about the, um, you know, the experience and the battle that you felt you were in, and that battle being over, and you're going back and replaying it in your mind. You know, if you listen to a veteran talk about Fallujah or talk about you know the service that they had, it's not too dissimilar than exactly the way you described it. And I know I feel that same way. It was a battle yes. that we fought for years. And yes. lost, and all of a sudden you're like, you know, yes. traumatic stress, definitely. This is exactly what it is, and and you know, it is a form of of the PTSD. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never clinically, and I will say at this point, I haven't really clinically um, sought yet, and that that is one of the things I I may look to do mm-hmm. uh, to balance out some of the things that I'm I think are part of my healing process, but. Um, I, I've been around others that have been through this process, the, those that have helped me through the grief share, and they said, you are going through PTSD. Mm-hmm. And as you said, it's a form of the battle that you have to and, and go through. And I, I, fa- I still face that daily. You know, uh, when we talk about the physical, you know, one of the things that I've reincorporated in my life is yoga. And yoga does a number of different things, but it's to help the spirit intentionally, and it helps the body. And those are all good things, but... The toughest part about yoga is the very end, and those of you that do yoga is the very end is shavasana, in which you're supposed to lay in a totally still state on your mat, and you're supposed to just let your mind, you're actually supposed to free your mind and escape into meditation as you finish your practice. That is the hardest part for me. That is the hardest part that I still face right now, is being able to free my mind and and to turn off the noise and turn off those concerns and in the toughest of times when i first started getting back into yoga i will say that my mind went to frankly ugly parts of her passing ugly parts of her last days that were disturbing to me you know and that's a form of this ptsd that we that we talk about mm-hmm. um I've recounted so in, in a blog or two Joey, same same exact type of thing, and I, I agree yeah. with you. I had the hardest time letting my mind free in Savasana, definitely. But yoga is definitely an important aspect to um, put into your program because of you know that meditative and breathing aspect to it. Both of which the breathing will help calm your anxiety, calm your amygdala. It gives you a tool that you can rely on to do that, and then the right. meditation of the practice is important as well besides the mobility benefits and everything else as we get to our age and i know you weight lift which i do too and then also spin or run for some forward you know kind of motion even though we're on stationary it seems like we're moving Mm -hmm. pretty quick yeah and you know and i will say that your mind is powerful Mm -hmm. and your mind can can lead you in certain ways (laughs) um and and it can take you frankly it can take you down a hole it can take you down a, a rabbit hole in some cases. And 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 that's what we learn in grief share also is to be able to see that coming on in waves, you know, when you see it coming and and however you need to move your mind and however you need to move your thoughts so that you can you can experience and not know that, you know, this is not the end, certainly for you, that there's a purpose and there's a reason for you and God's got you here for that and that he will see you through this he'll see you through the darkness of the of the valleys here and i'll reflect on one of the you know one of my first trips only a few weeks back you know we come out of covid and i've just started to begin to travel again for my business and i left my home and my children went back to school and it was the first time that i was reflecting on my week and where i was going and what i was doing and i'm on the interstate and i'm traveling at a good rate of speed and a song came on that triggered a thought and that triggered a thought and a feeling. And then I started thinking about my day and the week ahead and, and what was back at home. And there was a sense that I realized that physically, those people that were important to me were no longer there. And I looked back that, you know, do I have to be back on this day or this day? And I began to tell myself, I don't have to be back there any day. You know, and that's a change for me because I always had a home with a, with, with a wife or the children to go back to. And so that moment began to overtake me as I'm traveling at a high rate of speed down the interstate. And so I had to clear my mind. I had to do the things you said. I had to start to breathe and control my breathing. 
and let my mind look beyond that moment and look beyond that wave, if you will, and focus in on what was important beyond that for my children, for my life, for my well-being and what I needed to focus on. And, and had I not had those experiences that led to that, had I not had these others that allowed me or helped me through that process to recognize that and know how to respond, that's why I say the mind can take you to places where you may not want to go. And so having that sense of that and being able to see through that and knowing how, how to try to mitigate that, I think it's important for us all to focus in on learn that we're all going through this experience. And Joey, I wrote an article called Amygdala Hijack, and there's four T's that I use, which is transition to get out of that emotional trigger to get back to your kind of um, get the emotions quelled, think, thank, and then transcend. So definitely check out that blog article. Joey, what's the one piece of advice you'd give to someone who is kind of in a similar time frame as you, you know, someone who within the past year has lost their spouse? Well, it's advice that I'm going to give that I haven't fully experienced is that, you know, it says that know that grief and healing is not a linear process. You know, you know, you can look at books and textbooks that say, you know, if they're telling you that it's, you know, this step, then this step, then this step, you're not reading the right book. And I've already experienced that. So, and as I mentioned, no two people go through the same process. So it's okay to take steps backwards. It's okay to have bad days. Um, one of my one of my faith leaders in, in my men's Bible group, it says, you know, don't let bad moments make bad days. And so recognize it for a bad moment, but don't let it take your day away. And, um, and recognize that it is a process. And for others, it's a longer process than others. And it's not wrong. You know, there's no wrong about that. But so long as you can provide or, or try to surround yourself with people that bring you strength, that lift you up, that are there, you know, you don't have to have a lot of friends, but it's important to have those one or two close friends that you can confide in and feel. And I'm fortunate and blessed that I have many of those around me. So, you know, if that's a, a formula, that's, that's what works for me. Yeah, Joey, thank you so much for that, because I think a lot of times we think that there's, you know, this process, linear process that you have to go through, and there's a timeline for it. And unfortunately, there's a lot of others that will put dates and times and time periods on that for you and you just have mm -hmm. to let it be there for yourself you know give yourself grace there will be setbacks there will be times where you're feeling you know very similar to the the day or two after the loss and that still happens to me four years in five years in yeah. your friend you know eight years in when he, when he lost his son um certainly not a linear process even for those who uh, address it, write about it, journal about it, you know, try to mm -hmm. help others about it. It can still impact us as if it was yesterday that the loss yes. occurred. Um, and I, I love how you said triggered by song because song is, I, I swear, if there was a love language edition that we should make music mm -hmm. is one of them for me that I would yes. add to the, the love languages of touch and, and gifts yes. and everything else. Um, music can do that for me. <laughs> Yeah, the wrong song. One of the, the new, the right song comes on. You know, our, our wedding yeah. song came over the other day. Just the way you are, and and it was just a fountain, an absolute fountain, Joey. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll reflect one of the new things, if you will, or yeah, revisited. I I always enjoyed an opera song here or there, but in in uh, in honor of my upcoming trip to Italy and my homage back to my homeland, I said, you know, I need to kind of engross myself in some in some. Um, Opera, and so I happened on my Pandora station. And I found a uh, a romantic opera, if you will. And I had a long drive over the weekend. I was traveling from one coast to the other, east to west, to meet with go from one family, Yan's family, to meet with my sisters and my family on the other side. And I have that that great grace and benefit that I have that opportunity to do that. But I, I could take the path which would be the interstate and all of this. But I saw the need that I needed just some, some thought time and some alone time and I needed some reflection time. So I turned on my opera music and I took the the path less traveled and I took the, the country road. And what an experience that was through the music, 
through the visual of what I was going through and it allowed me time to reflect. And I will tell you, it was an emotional time and probably driven by the music too, because I'll say at one point I was probably halfway across the state and there was a song that, that Yen always loved. Um, by <laughs> by Andre Bocelli, Time to Say Goodbye. And uh song came on and of course, naturally I'm losing it. <laughs> And, but I'm in the midst of singing, belting this out in the car, you know, and midway through the song, it just stops. And I said, what? What happened? And right in the middle of the song, the very next song that came up was by Debussy, Claire de Lune, which was Yan's probably second most favorite opera song. And nothing planned. I don't know how the soundtrack came together as it did, but I, I turned what was an emotional moment into a moment of laughter. And I just stopped and I, I, I sensed her presence all around me. I said, Yan, thank you for doing that. Thank you for pulling me out of these tears and out of this crying. And I had to laugh and say, you did that. You did that to me. You stopped me right in the middle of that song to, to get to grab me in my tracks and said, you know, God is great. You're still around me. You're still with me. And I love you for that. So, Joey, on that note, thank you so much for this interview um, and sharing as much as you did the great stories with uh, with Yan, your family and uh, blessings to you, brother. Blessings to you and to you thank all. You all thank for, you. Yeah. Thank you all for listening to our Growth Through Grief podcast. Uh, if you like what you heard, definitely press like. Be sure you subscribe so you can stay up to date with the latest episodes. And until next time, my growth warriors, keep growing. Thank you. Thank you.